Well, the McDonald's All-American roster is officially set, and Bronny James' inclusion surprised a lot of people. Was his selection a snub to other players, or did he deserve the nod? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your co-host, Andy Patton, and today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, we are talking McDonald's All-American game today. The rosters officially came out on the 24th of January. The game is set to take place on March 28th in Houston. It will be the 46th annual McDonald's All-American game, a staple for high school athletics and, of course, those who follow college basketball and want to know who the next great college basketball players are going to be. Uh, And we're going to kind of talk a little bit about where these players came from, what schools they're going to, and kind of maybe which players maybe did, maybe did not deserve a spot on the roster. Of course, every year there's always some consternation about this prospect got left off, this prospect shouldn't have made it. Uh, Ultimately, we know, and you can point to somebody like Matt Painter at Purdue, who kind of just ignores this type of event. They tend to recruit players outside the top 50, 75, 100. I believe Zach Eady was like outside the top 400 among recruited players, just a, uh, a a very different type of vibe there. So we know that this event ultimately doesn't necessarily give us a picture of here are the 25 best college basketball freshmen next season. That's not exactly how it works, but it does give us a good barometer for who are going to be the, the superstars or the studs or the guys to keep an eye on for next season. So first of all, I want to kind of break it down by conference. The SEC was the big winner out of this year's McDonald's All-American game. Six players out of the 25 players set to participate, 24 players, excuse me, set to participate in this year's event. Six of them are going to SE ski schools next year. Of course, four of those players are headed to join John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats, an incredible recruiting class for Coach Cal at Kentucky. Uh, Next up is five out of the Big 12 and the Pac-12, each of those conferences well represented at the McDonald's game this year. For the for the Big 12, five different schools. Uh, we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how absolutely dominant the Big 12 is. Uh, it's a murderer's row conference from top to bottom. And them having five different McDonald's All-Americans joining the conference next year, all at different schools, kind of gives a perfect indication of why that conference remains so top to bottom dominant. Uh, the Pac-12, similar situation, five players, two of them are at the University of Oregon. The other three are spaced out around the conference. Next up is the ACC. The ACC, three players uh, joining from the this McDonald's game, all of them going to Duke, which shows that North Carolina, Virginia, Clemson, etc., Miami, the rest of the schools in the ACC did not add any All-Americans in the 2023 recruiting class. Uh, Big Ten is next. They have two, both headed to Michigan State. And then the Big East rounds us out with one player joining the conference. Uh, Team by team, we kind of talked about some of them, a handful already, four players from Kentucky. That is the most. 
Next up, Duke, three, the second most. Only two other schools have multiple players. Michigan State, of course, the only two representatives out of the Big Ten. And then Oregon, we talked about them. Kwame Evans, Mookie Cook, a really, really nice recruiting class for the Ducks and Dana Altman next year. Uh, Those are the only schools with multiple players represented at the McDonald's All-American game. The rest of the schools have at least one representative, or excuse me, just one representative of the G League. There is one player headed to the G League outside of that. UConn out of the Big East, Auburn, Kansas, Colorado. That's Cody Williams. He's going to be a fantastic player for Tad Boyle, the highest rated recruit in program history. Iowa State, Isaiah Collier is joining USC. Arkansas, Oklahoma State, Texas, Stanford, and Baylor round out our list. That gives you 23 out of 24 players. That's right. As there typically is, there usually seems to be one player who is still uncommitted, who remains on the McDonald's All-American teams. Last year was Anthony Black, a very, very late commit to join Eric Musselman and the Arkansas Razorbacks. This year, this guy's player has a little bit more namesake. Uh, That is, of course, Brody James spoken about uh, with Isaac Shade and Jason Jordan on a very recent episode of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast discussing Bronny James and his recruitment and his alleged top three list right now, which includes Oregon, Ohio State, and USC. Uh, There's reports that that is not necessarily a final three and that other schools could potentially jump into the mix for Bronny's services. But Bronny, of course, was in the news after the McDonald's All-American team came out. Certainly there are a lot of college basketball fans or basketball fans or just kind of casuals paying attention to the event who saw Bronny James's name logically concluded that he is related to LeBron James as his name doesn't really hide that fact and thought, oh, wow, I'm sure he only made the team because of his dad. And that's not necessarily true. Now, there are arguments for other players, and we'll talk about them towards the end of the segment, who probably deserved to be McDonald's All-Americans. And I think you could make a reasonable argument that any of those three players could have been a reasonable selection over Bronny James. But Bronny is not some scrub. He's not some, you know, should actually be in the, you know, barely top 75 at the rankings, but is, is way higher because of his name. That's not the case. He's not a super dynamic scorer. He's more of a kind of fundamentally sound, high basketball IQ, good passer, but not necessarily a, a highlight real playmaker type of guy. And, and I think that that has kind of soured his reputation, his perception a little bit, of course, being the son of an NBA legend, one of the greatest players to ever lace it up. That doesn't hurt either. That doesn't help either. And we've, we've talked on this podcast and talked before about the sons of famous players. And it's it's a hard road. It's a hard road. Michael Jordan's kids didn't exactly pan out. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal's son, Sharif, obviously, you know, managed to make it through college and into the G League. But it's a hard path. It's a hard path to be. Bronny is doing his absolute best. And you know what? He's He's better than he gets a lot of credit for. He's a good quality point guard. He's going to be a good, solid, power five capable basketball player when he gets to the next level. Having said that, there are a few names, a few players who are going to stand out for not being named to this team. The first, I think most obvious name is Mikey Williams. Mikey Williams committed to join Penny Hardaway and the Memphis Tigers next year. When, when Mikey was a freshman in high school, he was the best freshman in the country. It would have been inconceivable at that time to say, hey, I bet that kid doesn't make an All-American. But you know what? Between your freshman year and your senior year of high school, there's a lot of growth, a lot of development, a lot of changes physically, mentally, all of that stuff. And while Mikey Williams is still a very, very good basketball player, still going to be an impactful player at Memphis, he just was pretty inconsistent for his next couple of years and never really 
never really honed in the skills that made him such an internet sensation, a social media sensation coming uh, into, into in his freshman year in high school. He just kind of never really built on that. And now he's he's still a great prospect, but it's not that shocking that his up and down sophomore and junior years were enough for him to not end up being uh, selected as a McDonald's All-American. Next up, Oregon commit Jackson Shellstead. Look, Ducks fans don't, they don't get too much room to complain here. They got two All-Americans already. Mookie Cook is fantastic. Kwame Evans, fantastic. They might have a third if Bronny James ends up committing to Oregon. So I don't think that there's too much complaining here. But Jackson Shellstead, very, very good player. He, representing Westland High School, playing in the Les Schwab Invitational. He was phenomenal in that tournament. They played Sierra Canyon. They played Bronny uh, and, the, and the team over there. And he absolutely lit it up. They made a shocking run through the Les Schwab Invitational, a uh, player who probably deserved at least some heavy consideration for the McDonald's All-American team. You could make an argument that he maybe didn't deserve it, but he should definitely have been in that conversation. And then the final player is Texas commit A.J. Johnson. Johnson is the highest rated Recruit per 24-7 sports' recruiting rankings to have not made it onto a McDonald's All-American team. A very, very high-level combo guard. A lot of different schools interested in Johnson's services. Recently committed to Texas and recently held up his commitment to Texas despite the situation going on with Chris Beard. So it's going to be a really, really fun McDonald's All-American game as it usually is. Once again, March 28th in Houston, a handful of days before they host the Final Four event. Uh, for those who got uh, a couple of prospects or even just one prospect who are going to be in that event, it's always worth checking out. For the first time in nearly 20 years, the best team in the West Coast Conference is actually up for debate. More on that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here and we are really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America that is FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to the point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Maybe you like Gonzaga's odds to beat the spread on the road against Portland on Saturday, or maybe you like St. Mary's to keep it up against BYU. Either way, bet comfortably on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So basketball fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports partner of the NFL. Well, I am joined now by Zach Farmer. Zach hosts the UNFWCC Hoops podcast. He's joining me to have a conversation that, quite honestly, I don't think we've had this conversation about the WCC in a really, really, really long time, something like 20 years. But we have to have a legitimate conversation about who the best team is in the West Coast Conference because after narrowly escaping against USF, narrowly escaping against BYU, narrowly escaping against Santa Clara, the Zags finally got burned all of the close contests caught up to them. They lost to LMU at home on Thursday. It is the first time the Zags have lost to the Lions at all since 2010, and the first time they've lost to the Lions in Spokane since 1991. That was Mark Hughes' first year as an assistant coach at Gonzaga. It has been a really long time since LMU came to Spokane and defeated the Zags, but they did. Gonzaga followed that up with a – it was a win, a win on the road against Pacific. Pacific is a not top Top 200 Ken Palm team that was tied against the Zags at halftime. Gonzaga needed all 
of 38 points from Drew Timmy in order to even secure a victory there. Meanwhile, St. Mary's has played basically all of the same teams that Gonzaga has played, and what they have done is quite a bit different. Blew out San Francisco, blew out Santa Clara, blew out LMU. They haven't played a close game. They've only played one close game in WCC play all season long. So looking at that, Zach, we have to ask the question, is Gonzaga even the best team in the WCC anymore, or is it St. Mary's? I mean, if you if you look at the way they've both been playing right now, I don't think it's really much of a question. Mm-hmm. St. Mary's has been the better team over the last month and a half. This is a team that's now won nine in a row. The Just how good defensively St. Mary's has been, it's mm-hmm. like because they're taking good offensive teams like Santa Clara, as we talked about, just how the, the noise that they have made so far. Mm-hmm. They just absolutely crushed Santa Clara in the second half of that game last Saturday. Uh, St. Mary's in top 10 in the net, in the top 10 in Ken Palm, and you're starting to see the reason why. And what's scary is that the offense is starting to come around for the Gales. And that's something that for these the last few years has always been kind of the question mark of, like, is this team going to be able to score enough? Mm-hmm. And they've really done that. Um, you've started to see more out of Logan Johnson. Aiden Mahaney mm-hmm. has been gr- continued to be great. Uh, throughout WCC play. In fact, he's been better in WCC play. I think that's a scary thing. Like he just seems to be getting better night in, night out. Um, And defensively go back to that of like, just look at the the last few games. Like they played Max Lewis, who was arguably a NBA NBA Mm -hmm. prospect. He's going to be in that conversation. And then Brandon Pajemski two nights Mm -hmm. later, they held them to five and seven points season low for Lewis and a second lowest for Pajemski. Like Mm -hmm. they're shutting down premier guards, premier talent in this league. This is a scary St. Mary's team. And Gonzaga is just not playing to the standard that we're just used to seeing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every every advanced metric is pretty clear in, in who they're favoring here. You kind of mentioned a few of them. Ken Palm has St. Mary's 7th. They have Gonzaga 17th. Uh, the net rankings have St. Mary's 6th. Gonzaga shows up 12th there. Torvik's rankings, the biggest disparity. St. Mary's is all the way up at 5th in the Torvik rankings, and Gonzaga is down at 22nd. Of course, the AP poll doesn't quite reflect that yet. St. Mary's, after months of, or at least weeks of, a lot of people wondering, where the heck are the Gales? Why are they not showing up in the top 25, despite every analytical model loving them? They have finally kind of earned their way into the AP poll at 22nd, but the Zags are still 14th. And certainly when you look at Gonzaga's resume, one thing that stands out that that you don't see on St. Mary's resume is really marquee wins over top 25 opponents. St. Mary's mm-hmm. made a good non-conference schedule in the sense that they didn't play a lot of gimme games. There weren't a lot of right. like sub 300 Ken Palm teams that they were playing. They played a lot of challenging games, but they didn't play a lot of elite teams. And the elite team mm-hmm. that they did play was the Houston Cougars, and they played them extraordinarily well. And Houston's a top five team in the country, was number one until losing to Temple recently. But that was their best game. And of course, they didn't win it, which you know, no shame in losing that game necessarily. But I do think that when you look at St. Mary's record, that is something that stands out in mm-hmm. contrast to Gonzaga, where they have this win over Alabama, which is a, a arguably the best non-conference win that, that pretty much any team in the country yeah. has. It's a monster win for Gonzaga, and it's really holding up a resume that when you look a little closer after that, kind of falls apart a little bit. They got a win over Kentucky, but it's unclear how great of a win that necessarily is. They have a win over Xavier, which has aged exceptionally well, and that's a really nice victory for them. Uh, The big thing for Gonzaga is that outside of the LMU loss, 
the rest of their losses don't look all that bad. Purdue looked no. worse at the time than it does now. Texas has aged fairly well as the Longhorns are a fantastic team. Uh, and then obviously Baylor just had themselves a really nice victory over Kansas. That kind of helps Gonzaga's case a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, just kind of looking at those resumes, like St. Mary's has a lot of good wins as well. Do you think that they're, I mean, the same issue that has plagued Gonzaga for years that is continuing to plague even Houston now of just – not getting enough respect because of name recognition, because uh, they're not having as many opportunities to play top tier teams. Do you think that that's still kind of impacting the public perception of the Gales? And what do you think, do do they have to beat Gonzaga in in order for that reputation to kind of get changed for them? I think so. I think that still exists. And to to be honest, it's probably a little bit fair. Again, you look at the best win being San Diego State Mm -hmm. or St. Mary's, like you you don't have that top 15 Right. win you don't have that top 20 win like mm-hmm. san diego san diego's hovering right around like 25 to 30 right now right. so they're good they're a very good win on a neutral site but mm-hmm. this is the same Mary's team that hasn't really had to go on the road and play a real challenging opponent yet that'll be the first time obviously will be in spokane mm-hmm. at the end of february and and maybe a win against gonzaga will help to shift that i think that there is something to be said about waiting for like the quote legitimate win or the quote right. like marquee win Mm-hmm. That Samers needs to get the the recognition nationwide, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I also think like this is a St. Mary's team that I don't know why, but every single year it does seem that like that there's everyone just hits a reset button thinking mm-hmm. that St. Mary's is a bubble team every single right. year, <laughs> where it was very clear, at least it was to me at the beginning of this mm-hmm. year, like this uh, there wasn't a whole there wasn't a huge step down from St. Right. Mary's from a year ago. And Randy Bennett keeps his teams in the conversation every mm-hmm. single year. So, and that's the one thing that I think boggles my mind more than anything is that he has put together teams that are in the conversation every single year. And to think that they, that, and I saw some pun is like, weren't even considering St. Mary's to be in the tournament at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how you could even have that thought. Like this right. is a team that's in the conversation all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I do think for the national respect, they they need to get the win against Gonzaga. And honestly, right now, I'd probably pick them to beat the Zags in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, that's what I was, that was the, the next question. Gonzaga's gonna, Gonzaga and St. Mary's are going to play each other twice at minimum. They're probably, although who knows exactly, especially with how Gonzaga's been playing, they're probably going to meet in the WCC championship game. The WCC has a double bye for the top two seeds, so that makes it a little bit easier. So if we assume three matchups, one at home, one on the road, and one neutral uh, between these two teams between now and the NCAA tournament, if you were a betting man, who are you, you, you think St. Mary's takes two out of three, three out of three? Like it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of anybody's guess right now. Right? I mean, it, it really is anybody's guess right now, but mm-hmm. I mean, if I, based on the way the teams are playing right now, it would not shock me to see St. Mary's be not only the regular season champion. So that does mm-hmm. mean probably beating Gonzaga at least once in the regular season mm-hmm. and then being the auto bid and being the tournament champion. This is probably the, this is the most flawed Gonzaga team I think we've seen in close to a decade, especially on the defensive end. And this is where St. Mary's has an opportunity to really kind of like take advantage of that and, mm-hmm. and maybe be that auto bid for the first time in a long time. I think mm-hmm. the last time was 2012 when the last time St. Mary's won uh, the WCC tournament. So it's a mm-hmm. long time coming for the Gales. We know a lot has changed for Gonzaga in that time. Like mm-hmm. obviously like two national championship appearances, a couple right. final fours, all this, the streak of sweet 16s. Mm-hmm. But if there's an opportunity, this would be it. I would, I would definitely pick the Gales to, w- 
to win the game in Moraga. I think I would still take the Zags in Spokane. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as as far as Vegas, I think that'd be a toss up. I mm-hmm. that would be, especially considering like, I mean, the Orleans Arena becomes Spokane South yeah. <laughs> every March, so mm-hmm. that one's always a making a pseudo road game, mm-hmm. even though it's like quote the quote neutral side. Like that crowd yeah. is eighty percent Zag, so yep. um, it's. It's a tough task, but I think this is the greatest opportunity St. Mary's has to knock off knock off Gonzaga in a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's safe to say that Gonzaga and St. Mary's both at least have a safety net with regards to making the NCAA tournament. Uh, last year, the WCC was a three-bid league. Uh, I want to talk to you, Zach, in the third segment about whether that's going to continue to be the case. Three-bid league, four-bid league, two-bid league, what we're talking about with the WCC coming up right after this. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on college basketball podcast, still here joined by Zach Farmer, the host of the unofficial WCC podcast. Zach, last year we saw a three-bid WCC. It came to life uh, for the first time without a Gonzaga, St. Mary's, BYU. We had another school in the conversation. That was, of course, Todd Golden and the San Francisco Dons. Golden is gone. He's at Florida. Jamari Bouye is gone. He's playing in the G League with the Miami Heat. Uh, And now we've seen... San Francisco kind of take a little bit of a step back, but there are some other teams that have really kind of stepped up in a significant way. And I want to talk about a handful of teams in the conference uh, on an individual basis. But before we do that, Zach, I just want to ask you more broadly, do you think there's a chance that the WCC is once again, a three bid league in 2023? I mean, probably not like this. Mm -hmm. I think that the other teams in the conversation are, have too much work to do Mm -hmm. remaining. Uh, I mean, it took USF, a, a net of 20 in the twenties to mm-hmm. get a 10 seed. And I think that's kind of what it says. Cause everyone else is down in the eighties right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's a huge opportunity for them to get in. Mm-hmm. I think even, and we'll get talk about a little bit about mm-hmm. more detail, but yeah, I don't see this as a, as a conference with any more than two. Yeah. I, I think it's unfortunate how, how difficult it is for these mid-major schools to make, make a push. Uh, the mountain West has, has a really strong, contingent of teams this year which the Mountain West and WCC always get compared always get kind of thrown together because there's really only so many spots for mid-major at large bids and if the Mountain West is soaking up a bunch of them which this year they probably are that's going to make things a little bit more complicated I want to start with a team that does seem to have the best chance at least in my opinion of potentially making a run into the big dance Uh, I do think it is probably going to take them winning the WCC tournament or at the very least going to the WCC championship game. That's the Broncos of Santa Clara, 16 and six on the season right now. They're only four and three in conference play though. Losses to St. Mary's and Gonzaga Um, 86th in Ken Palm 80th in the net rankings. Uh, They still got at Gonzaga at San Francisco at BYU all on the calendar. Uh, your thoughts on, on this squad and really what it might take if there is even a path for them to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I mean, I like the Broncos. I like the Santa Clara team. I mean, it's hard not to like Brandy Pajemski and everything mm-hmm. that he's done, but Carlos Stewart has been really good in this sophomore season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keyshawn Justice has been great the last couple of weeks. So you mm-hmm. have some senior leadership on this team uh, that's really been able to help them kind of like k- carry through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just don't, I don't see the at-large path for Santa Clara short of you got to win in, win in Spokane, which mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think it'd be hard-pressed oh. to see Gonzaga lose losing mm-hmm. twice at home mm-hmm. in one season. Little, like mm-hmm. Seeing them lose once was was interesting enough. I don't mm-hmm. see it happening more than twice, especially to a not St. Mary's team. Yeah. But 
I, yeah, I think the only path for them is to win in Vegas. I If they do get the win in Spokane, like even mm-hmm. if that happens, that maybe jumps them into the 60s. And that still means you have a lot of work to do. Yeah. You'd have to win out otherwise, I think, to even be in the conversation. So maybe that pushes them into the 50-ish range. Mm-hmm. But then you got to make a run in the tournament. I, yeah. I, I think their only path is to, to win it all in Vegas. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably going to be the, the the sentiment that we come to for these other teams, but I still kind of want to take a look at at, at where they might end up, even if it's not the NCAA tournament. Uh, Nine-loss BYU team, they're not getting into the NCAA tournament unless they win the WCC outright. I think that's reasonable to say this is a team that's only 500 uh, in West Coast Conference play so far this season. 83rd, Ken Palm, but all the way down at 98 in the net right now. They do got St. Mary's twice. They got a road trip to Gonzaga. They got USF and Santa Clara. So got a lot of big games left for Mark, Mark Pope's squad. But I'm kind of curious where you think this team's going to end up because it's probably not going to be the NCAA tournament and, and really kind of what, I mean, this team's about to go to the big 12 and we're talking about a team that's 500 in WCC play right now. Like are, are, are we in trouble right now? Uh, if we're Mark Pope? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, this BYU team we knew going in was going to struggle offensively and that's exactly mm-hmm. what's happened. Um, yes. They had a really good showing against Gonzaga when they were in Provo, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. outside of that, we really haven't seen that. We haven't seen them being able to travel. Well, we, this is a BYU team that just cannot, get it going consistently on the offensive end. We Jackson Robinson has had a really good night. He's had a nice couple of weeks. We've mm-hmm. seen since Spencer Johnson has come back, they've been a little bit better on the offensive end, yeah. but there's still not that consistency that we're so used to seeing from a BYU offense mm-hmm. um, th- this season. And as far as like a postseason, I mean, I honestly like this, I think it's going to be a struggle for them to get to an NIT. Mm-hmm. I don't, where they are right now with the games they have left. Yes, there's opportunities, but I don't favor them in any of those opportunities right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, They, yeah, they do have St. Mary's twice and they have, um, they're going to be hosting the Gales on Saturday, Mm -hmm. but the way St. Mary's plays defense against Mm -hmm. that offense, like I just do not see that working out well. Um, And we've seen like BYU is kind of, is really struggling in our last go round in the WCC. Like it does seem mm-hmm. like at the very least, like all, all the teams are kind of like putting their last uh, stamp on the yeah. Cougars before they hit, before they hit, go out the door. Yeah. Um, no, I, this is, I don't even know if they would take a CBI if it were mm-hmm. offered to them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see them as an NIT team yeah. right now. It It's going to be, it's going to be a struggle for them going into the big 12. Absolutely, yeah. The the uh, the BYU uh, matchup against St. Mary's just seems like St. Mary's strength directly against BYU's weaknesses. That's that's going to be a tough matchup there. St. Mary's might only need to score about sixty or sixty five in order to secure a victory in that one. I wanted to move on talk about LMU, the team that did beat Gonzaga in a home game. Uh, they are fourteen and seven on the season, four and three in conference play. A team that. Uh, was not necessarily expected to be all that good, was kind of in the middle, the middle of the pack conversation for the WCC, uh, has stepped up in Stan Johnson's, uh, in this season under Stan Johnson, a team that lost Eli Scott last year to graduation and has almost seemed to kind of improve in some ways, just being able to space the floor a little bit more and, and kind of do some different things. Uh, again, similar to BYU there. Uh, just outside, just inside the top 90 in the net, they're 89th right there, 94th in Ken Palm. So uh, I think a path to an at-large bid is probably off of the table. It would it would require absolute perfection and a lot of other things to fall uh, the right direction for them. But this does look like a team that could at least potentially play uh, in some kind of postseason tournament, uh, which is a really nice, kind of a nice 
feather on the cap of what has been a solid season for Stan Johnson and the Lions. Absolutely. I, I mean, this has been such a pleasant surprise for LMU. The way mm-hmm. they bounced back from a year ago, they were so banged up last yeah. year. Everything went wrong for them mm-hmm. a year ago, especially after there was so much promise with year one and Stan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting the Gonzaga win is was a huge feather in the cap for the program. Uh, I do think that this team, even though like the numbers are similar to BYU, I think this is a team that has a better shot to get to an NIT. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're still going to be an app. They're still going to be on kind of like on the cusp on the outside of that line. Yeah. I think it's going to be close for them to get an NIT bid, but I think the opportunities are there. They have mm-hmm. an opportunity to get fat on a lot of T on a lot of the bottom half of the WCC in the next couple of weeks. They mm-hmm. have Pepperdine, they have San Diego. Uh, I think they have Portland again. So there's opportunities for, um, LMU to really start to pick up some wins and move up in the standings. Um, and I think that this is a team that's capable because I think they're probably like a, I don't know if they're probably like a four or five seed in the WCC when we, mm-hmm. when all is said and done in Vegas, I do think that they're good enough to get to a semifinal. I think that there's talented enough, tough enough. And I think that's what we saw the last couple of weeks is LMU is, is a really tough team, really like mentally tough team that they were able to go up at, into Spokane and mm-hmm. beat the Zags at, when a lot of things didn't go right for them either. Yeah. And even in when they played St. Mary's the week before, I thought that they played really well against the Gales and just like they, that game could have gotten away from them and it really didn't. They had it within 10, mm-hmm. and I think with like nine minutes left. So they at very least like kept it close and St. Mary's wasn't able to completely run away from them. So this LMU right. team I think is going to have opportunities throughout the rest of conference play to really – at least like build the resume up to the, maybe they're in the NIT conversation. Mm-hmm. Final team I want to talk about with you, Zach, is the USF Dons. Again, a team that went to the NCAA tournament last year, lost a lot of talent from last year's roster. We mentioned Bouye. We let, mentioned, of course, their coach, Todd Golden. Uh, they also lost mm-hmm. Yuhan Masalski, a fantastic big man in the conference. This is a team that's not really in the NCAA tournament conversation, quite honestly. Nine loss team, only three and five in the WCC. But really what I want to talk about is like, what we've thought of the the regime change, obviously Chris Gerlison taking over as the head coach. Uh, they still have Khalil Shabazz. They still have some nice pieces. Tyrell Roberts has been a, a nice piece uh, in the in the guard room for them. But like, are we kind of down on this team? Are we pessimistic about them going forward, or is it just like, hey, they've kind of had a rough start this year, but there's still some some nice pieces there? I last going at. Coming out of last year was going to be tough. I mean, they lost yeah. four starters. We yeah. knew that that was going to be rough. Like you lose mm-hmm. again. You mentioned Bouye, Masalski. You mm-hmm. also lose Stefan, uh, Gabe Stefanini yeah. and Patrick Tape. Like you lost four starters out of that group. Right. So there was a lot that they were going to have to replace. And USF always kind of like was able to kind of tread water on the WCC. Always mm-hmm. was kind of like in that four or five range. Sometimes yeah. they slip up to three. But the difference for them always was whether or not the 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 low post, the, like the interior presence was going to be there. And that is something that they've missed for the most part of this season. I don't think they've really had, they don't have that Yawin Masalski yeah. in the middle of that. And that really was a difference from a year ago. Like, cause we saw two seasons ago, three seasons ago, you have Bouye and uh, Shabazz, but they were just missing that one piece. And the second they got Masalski, everything changed. Mm-hmm. They had that tough, tough defensive presence and they haven't had, they haven't had that level of a presence this year. And then when you, you don't have a buoy. That's that's a like as good as Ty Roberts has been. He's mm-hmm. not. He's not. He's not no. uh, Jamari Bouye. Right. Uh, 
this is so I I don't I'm not down on USF really. I think that this was just going to be a rough year, a rough a transitional year for them, not mm-hmm. only on the coaching side but just on the player side. Like yeah. I cuz I think this what's really going to be the key for them is what happens going into next year. They mm-hmm. can build on some of the pieces because you also still have a pretty senior heavy team even within this group. Yeah. So what the Dons looked like I think a year ago will really be telling for the program moving forward. All right, well, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much to Zach Farmer for joining the show, talking some WCC hoops. It's always appreciated. You can find the podcast wherever you already get podcasts, Locked On College Basketball. It's on Spotify. It's on Google. It's on Apple. It is on YouTube. Go to YouTube, search Locked On College Basketball, hit that big red subscribe button. Plenty more fun content coming your way later this week. For now, peace out.